0: Welcome to Community Vineyard Church Podcast, a community of believers who passionately worships the Lord Jesus Christ, declares His truth, and shares His life with a world in need. Now, for this week's message. my message today is Magnificent repentance. If you guys are familiar with the words of Mary in Luke chapter one, it's referred to as the, the Magnificent so you will that's the Latin word for the first few words of her of her uh, I like to consider it like a poem or a song, um, but what she says when, when she's greeted by Elizabeth and that's going to be part of our message today. But before I get into that, I wanted to share a, a a brief story, and it's not a joke. Okay, I know I like to start with jokes, but I really tried this week to find a good one, and I was listening to different things and 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 just even like googling them. But there wasn't anything that I really liked. And as I was, you know, continuing to prepare for this message, it really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to share something. Um, For me, it was very profound when I heard this, Uh, and so I just want to share it with you guys. In the late 1960s, a small group of men and women gathered together in California to pray. This group was put together by several burned-out elders, pastors, and leaders of various churches who felt like they genuinely loved Jesus, but somewhere along the way, they began to drift. We talked about that last week. They, They began to drift, and they felt like they missed the mark. And as they gathered to pray, a quiet stillness hung really heavy in the room. And without saying a word, many of them said that they began to experience what they would describe later as a supernatural conviction. This is what one woman said about the experience. We all thought that we had so much to say, but we all came to the realization that we'd been talking so much that God didn't have a chance to talk at all. It was so foreign that we didn't even recognize his voice at first. There was such a sense of strong repentance that it actually caused an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they they described it as the gift of humility and the gift of teachability. And it sparked a movement that we are all a recipient of. We know it, of course, as the Vineyard Movement. And as I studied the Scriptures today, it became very clear to me. Oh, and by the way, it was Carol Wimber who said that, John's wife, who was present. As I studied the Scriptures today, it became very clear to me that there was something in the traditional telling of the Christmas story that I personally had been missing, that something that I had overlooked, something that I um, didn't see before. And I felt like the Holy Spirit revealed it to me so that I might be able to share it with you guys. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you. You are a holy God. You are a magnificently powerful, amazing God. And you have created everything so that we would be in relationship with you, Lord. Help us help us not to forget who you are and who we are before you. Help us to have an accurate picture of those two things so that we would be able to come before you with humility, but also with truth and who you say that we are. in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to be picking up in Luke. Uh, we're still in chapter one. We're going to be picking up in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now this is veering off the traditional angel greeting of fear not, which you'll see as we read on that it confuses Mary. She's greatly troubled because she's not getting the traditional angel greeting of fear not. But I want to put some of this in in a little bit of context so you guys kind of have a visual picture of exactly what's taking place and and some of the logistics. So for those of you who don't know, Nazareth is, is a small town that is in northern Israel that is in a region called Galilee. So it'd be like Akron is in a Summit County region, right? And, and it's about 64, the region of Galilee is about 64 square miles. 33 of those miles uh, is the Sea of Galilee. So how many of you guys saw in pictures and different kinds of things that the Sea of Galilee, maybe you pictured it as maybe a little bit smaller, right? Something like, maybe like the Portage Lakes or, you know, something like that. But this was enormous. This was 33 square miles. It had really its own weather system. That's how big it was. And Nazareth is about 15 miles from the Sea of Galilee, just so you have some context. And it's going to make a little bit more sense too when you talk about, when in a minute, when, when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, she actually travels about 80 miles to go see her. Now, Mary was likely about 13 or 14 or even younger when she was pledged to Joseph. So this was a very young person, a, a teenager, right? When, when all of this began to happen to her. Now, a woman could be pledged to a man very shortly after they began puberty, and the pledge was legally binding, and it could only be broken before marriage um, due to infidelity or death. And if you read in Matthew, you'll see that Joseph, when he finds out that she's pregnant, that was a very real possibility. And it's not just, this would have been considered adultery, right? So it's not just that, you know, she's pregnant out of wedlock or whatever. They, the, Joseph's course of action could have meant that that she actually got stoned according to Jewish law, according to some of the laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And so, when the angel appears to Joseph, he actually his response obviously was very, very uh, you know, life saving for Mary in a way. I also point out a few things that I, I particularly found interesting. in sort of in light of what we've been talking about, about uh, you know, out of Romans earlier in the year about uh, you know, that some of the language that Paul used all throughout his epistles. And, and the words highly favored right there in verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favored, that is almost an identical word to what he uses in Ephesians 1.6 when he refers to the glorious grace. Right? So it's this unmerited grace and favor that that nobody could boast about, right? So Mary is given this unmerited, amazing grace and favor. And I and I zoom in on this because while we should respect and honor Mary for her role in the incarnation, we would be wise to view her as God viewed her, right? So not like traditions that elevate her to like a godlike status, okay? She is to be uh, venerated and she is to be respected and honored, but she received free, unmerited grace in the same way that we receive free and unmerited grace. And there's actually three things that I, I thought were kind of interesting and I wanted to point out about, um, about Mary that we have in, in uh, common with Mary, right? So, first, three things we have in common with Mary. She is highly favored. And so are we. That comes directly out of Ephesians 1.6. Number two, the Lord was with her as he is with us from Matthew 28. And she was blessed and we are blessed. The only difference is that the grace that Mary was given was the gift of the incarnate Christ. But the grace that we are given is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the gift of Jesus and the Holy Spirit sort of dwelling inside of her helped her to step into who she is and who her identity is. And in the same way, the grace that we are given through the Holy Spirit helps us to step into our true identity, who we really are. So I think it's a really beautiful thing that even though Mary didn't, you know, even though this wasn't, you know, uh, this was pre-day of Pentecost, Mary had the incarnate Christ in her was the gift, the grace that she received that helped her to step into her identity as well. And as I mentioned, Mary approached this and she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be because she's read scriptures and the only traditional greeting from an angel is fear not, right? We talked about that last time. (laughs) But the angel said, he, he decided she was confused. She didn't respond the way that uh, he had expected her to. So he just kind of like, well, I'll go back to the old greeting. Do not be afraid. Fear not, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is actually, if you, if you really dive into this, and I'm going to talk about a few things here. If you really dive into this, the angel is describing the Trinity here. The angel is actually describing that Jesus is God himself. Right, So he, he clearly states to Mary that Jesus is not only the Messiah that is prophesied about in the Old Testament, but that he is God himself. He will not become the Most High. He is the Most High. He is already called the Most High. The Son of the Most High, by the way, is a clear reference to the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament and the equality that Jesus has with God. Okay, so this is this is the beginnings I think and, and you see it when you read the first chapter of, of the Gospel of John He's trying to describe the Trinity in very like much more clear detail But to a Jewish audience who would listen to the language that is being used by Luke It would be very clear what they're talking about. He's talking about Jesus as God the throne of the father of David is a clear reference to the Messiah prophesied in Second Samuel chapter 7. His kingdom will never end as the beginnings of the eternal kingdom that can only be established for the one who is eternal. You don't sit at the right hand of the father from all of eternity in, unless you are yourself eternal, Right? So it's, it's just interesting that Luke is already describing the Trinity for his audience because he knows that his audience is going to be, even though it's the, the, uh, Theophilus, he knows that this is going to be read to other people. It's not just for him. Um, and then he goes on, or Mary goes on here. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The word overshadow here is the same kind of word that is used, even though it's in Greek, it's the same kind of word that was used in Hebrew when they would describe the, the Shekinah glory. Many of you guys know that. It's this, it's this amazing glory of the Lord that that used to follow the tabernacle around it. It was the glory of the Lord that fell inside of the temple, right? And it was, it was this amazing glory filled cloud. So this is, this is what the language is being talked about. It's going to overshadow Mary, God's Shekinah glory. Uh, It's also the same word uh, that is used in the, all three accounts of the transfiguration. It's the, sort of the, the glory cloud of the Lord when the voice of God comes down and says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. <clears throat> and you'll notice, I'm, by the way, I'm going through this a little fast because I really want to spend the majority of our time in Mary's song, which is going to be at the end of our readings today. So here we are in, in verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going, to be, is going to have a child in her old age. She... And she she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Here Gabriel gives her evidence for what he's going to say. And I find it very interesting. There's a little bit of a contrast here because when Zechariah, obviously we talked about this last last week, when Zechariah says, uh, you know, his response to the angel, he's really asking for a sign from God. And what the angel does instead is sort of smites him with silence. He's not allowed to talk because he's, he doubted the Lord, right? And so not only did he not get his sign exactly, other than the fact that he couldn't speak, I think that would be a sign to me. If, if all of a sudden I couldn't talk for, for nine months, I would be like, well, yeah, the Lord was serious. But even though he asked for a sign, he didn't exactly get one the way that he wanted. But Mary, on the other hand, didn't need a sign. She didn't ask for a sign. She just said, I'm the Lord's servant. And, and the angel's response is, I will actually give you a sign. The sign is, Elizabeth, your relative, who you know is well past childbearing age, is actually already six months pregnant. So even though Zechariah demanded a sign, he didn't get in. Oftentimes, if we come before the Lord with that kind of humility and that kind of trust, when the Lord calls us or asks us to do something, when we come before him and, and we just say, I'm your servant. I will, I will do whatever you ask. And if we do it quickly, too, I think that that matters sometimes. Often the Lord will give us those little breadcrumbs. Often he'll give us those little testimonies. Often he'll give us those dreams. He'll have somebody speak into us. Or a scripture will stand out to us that'll you know, give us that little breadcrumb, that little word of encouragement. The key is is to declare yourself his servant. And to, even if you can't in that very moment commit or do exactly what God is telling you to do, but in your heart you commit to doing it. That's the key. Because that's what he wants. He just wants us to trust him. The last thing that Gabriel says to Mary would be better translated as no word of God shall be powerless. So rather than uh, for no word of the Lord will ever fail, and that's sort of the word for word, it it actually means no word of the Lord will ever not have the power to come true. So so think about that for, for a minute. Every word of Scripture has power in it like real supernatural power. These are not just words on a page. Okay? And it also means that every prophecy in Scripture has the power behind it to make it come true. It will come to pass. This is what the Jewish believers really invested in. And this is what they believed in. This is what they prayed in. This is why we talked about last week that had people praying before the temple daily because they believed there was power in all these predictions of the Messiah. They believed that the prophecy was going to come true, and they were just waiting for it. They were eagerly expecting it. And I want to tell you, if you've received a prophetic word that you know in your heart is from the Lord, even though it hasn't come true, I want to tell you there's power behind that. And it may not come true the way that you thought that it was going to come true, just like in Scripture, they didn't think that the Messiah exactly was going to be a suffering servant. They were expecting Him to be a, a political leader. They were expecting Him to be a, a, a you know, sort of a king as they saw kings. That's not how He came. The word that the Lord has given you may not come to pass the way that you think it's going to come to pass. But if it's truly from the Lord, there's power behind it, and it will come to pass. It also means that when the Lord declares something to be true about you, specifically in Scripture about our, our new nature versus our old nature, and who we are in Christ, that means that it is true. And there's going to be power behind it to make sure that it will come to pass. So if He declares you holy and righteous, if He has, through the cross, substituted you know your sin and put it on Christ and given you Jesus' righteousness... Even though you're not walking in it fully, I promise you there's power behind it to make sure that it will come to pass. You can trust that the Lord will not leave you hanging, that you are in process, and you will be fully sanctified before the throne of God before it's all said and done. To me, that's like, I just want you to have that hope and have that faith. Some of us struggle over and over, and we just need to be reminded The Lord is taking you through something for your benefit. It also means if the Lord calls you to something, He will equip you to step into that role. If He's called you into ministry, if He's called you into into a certain position or a certain job or a certain role, if you're married, all of a sudden you're like, I can't believe I'm married. He's called you to be in that role, and therefore He will equip you to be in that role. Because you are in that role. If you're a parent, I mean, I've talked about this before. You know, when I first, you know, Carol was like six months pregnant. I'm like, oh my gosh, the Lord has like given us a human. And I, you know, (laughs) I don't, I don't, she knows what she's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. But who am I to call God a bad steward? I am his servant and he's put me in a position to be husband and a father. Therefore, he will equip me for that role. So whatever role it is that the Lord has put you in, even though sometimes it feels like, man, I'm, I'm in over my head, that's actually a good place to be because that means that he will raise you into who you are supposed to be in that role. It's a good place to be. Moving on. At that time, Mary got ready. Here we're in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, why would she go to Elizabeth's house? Well, think about the circumstance. She had an angel tell her that she's going to be given the Messiah, and she's a virgin, and she's pledged to somebody. Who in their right mind is going to believe this? Okay? I mean, think about it in modern times. You know, like you're dating somebody. As a guy, maybe you're dating somebody. She's 16, she says, hey, the Holy Spirit uh, you know, said that I'm pregnant, and I'm going to give birth to a child. Would you believe that person? <laughs> probably not. So she's probably not broadcasting this to anybody. She's going to the only person who might possibly be able to understand what she's going through, because Elizabeth just had a Holy Spirit encounter that resulted in her getting pregnant in her old age. So, as I said earlier, she went about 80 or 90 miles to greet and to be with Elizabeth so that she could try to process this and understand what's happening. And when Elizabeth, here, verse 41, "...when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit." In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? The mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed in the Lord, and would, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Boy, when Kara was pregnant, Jack used to leap in the womb when she would drink orange juice. And I don't, I don't know if that means that orange juice is like a holy beverage or something. But it was like immediate. It was like this weird somehow connection. And nobody knows the exact moment that Mary became pregnant, but you have to accept that she's probably pregnant, obviously, by the time she makes the trip to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And I also got to say, why does it say in a loud voice she exclaimed? Think about this. Zechariah is silent. He can't talk because he didn't believe in the Lord. He's probably in the next room. And Mary says, well, blessed is she who believed the Lord. (laughs) Blessed is she that believed the Lord would fulfill his promises in a loud voice nudge, nudge, Zechariah. It's kind of a cheap shot, right? And Luke wrote it down, too. (laughs) Why else would it be in a loud voice, she exclaimed. (laughs) But Elizabeth put the pieces together immediately. So, even though Zechariah couldn't speak, I'm sure, in fact, we know that he actually wrote down what had experienced to him because other people knew it and because Before Zechariah could speak, uh, Elizabeth declared that the baby's name was John. So you knew that there was some communication. Zechariah wrote down what he had experienced and heard from the angel. And it sounds an awful lot like the prophecy in Malachi. So let me read to you from last week what Zechariah, what the angel told Zechariah. This is chapter 1 verse 17 of Luke. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is a direct link to Malachi. This is, this is a, a, a... I don't know what chapter it is. I didn't write the chapter, but it's verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you, that great... <clears throat> to you before the that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of their children to the parents. So all of a sudden, all of it was coming into mind. All of a sudden, everything that that Elizabeth had been praying for, and everything that the people of, of Israel had been praying for, and, and the prophecy that the angel spoke to Zechariah is now coming into alignment. And she realizes for I think for the first moment, which is actually why she was probably saying it in a loud voice. I mean, you can imagine sort of the hysteria, like, like something that her and her people have been praying for probably before she was born is coming true before her very eyes. Hmm. And here's what Mary said. I'm going to read through it in its entirety. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It says Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months before, and then returned home. A few things before I want to zoom in on something specific that I feel like is for our our church today. Most theologians believe that Mary's song was modeled upon Hannah's song from 1 Samuel and it actually directly quotes 12 different scriptures from the old testament which which you know makes it very clear that Mary was a very learned individual she could read she studied scripture this is not i don't think this is just the holy spirit just you know filling her, her mouth i mean sometimes obviously i think the lord does give us the the words to say but this is something that Mary probably had been pondering as she traveled that 80 miles to visit Elizabeth. And I don't think that it's too much of a stretch to view her strong as just another hinge from the beginning chapters of Luke that hinges the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's making these connections. In these words, and I would, I would strongly encourage you guys, spend some time over the next week and just chew on these words. Just read them over and just ask the Holy Spirit what He wants to reveal to you through these. If you want to, you can do a little bit of a study. You can Google the, you know, the 12 things. I, I'm, I didn't point them out uh, specifically for today. It be something interesting. You could, you could view the 12 scriptures that Mary is quoting, the verses and the phrases that she's quoting in these. But here's, here's a few things that I see. I see both the old covenant and the new covenant represented. I see our old nature and our new nature represented. I see the flesh and the spirit represented. But where does it start? Let's go back. It starts with her heart. The first verse of her song, she identifies who the Lord is and who she is, mainly that she is in need of a Savior. To me, it's it's an accurate understanding of who God is and who she is. There's, There's a recognition that He is holy and she is humble, that she is a servant, and that it's only those who are understanding of this, like, great void between a holy God and who they are, it's only those who are actually humble enough to be able to receive from the Lord. It's this place of repentance. Now, she doesn't come forth and and say, you know, these are all the things that I'm, you know, I'm repentant of, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry for these things, like, in, in sort of the way that we view repentance. But what repentance really is, is it's A true understanding of who God is, which is a holy, all-powerful, almighty, amazing God. But it's also a true understanding of who we are before that God. And I want to say, I want to preface, without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because with the Holy Spirit, we are able to achieve holiness. We are able to, as our process moves forward, we are able to achieve that sanctification but it begins with repentance it begins with recognizing this great chasm that exists between us and god <clears throat> then she she actually goes into an accurate understanding of her identity in christ which is blessed and then she 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 approaches that with gratitude and then, and then you see, as as it goes on, you see a description of this sort of upside-down, backwards kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach. Jesus is constantly preaching that it comes down to the heart. He's, he's preaching, you know, with our eyes we think that things should be a certain way when it comes to kings and rulers like they're blessed and they're high, highly favored but God sees the heart. You see this in Mary's words. And there's a lot of different threads that a pastor could, to, could choose as, you, as, as we're reading through this, as we're looking at these different things. I mean, there really are. And, and, and I almost wanted to spend a whole week on just Mary's song. I wanted to spend the whole sermon on this. But the Lord told me the one thread that he wants me to, to pull on for our congregation is this idea of repentance. There's, like I began with the service. You know, there's so many things to be joyful about. This is Christmas season. Oh, this is like an exciting time for us. Just our culture, right? There's energy. There's, there's you know, people are nicer in public. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of different things for us to focus on and to be joyful of. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us to a place, maybe just for today, maybe just over the next week of quiet repentance before Him. I know my audience, I know that most of the people in here are saved. And I know that repentance is a term that we use when we're describing somebody who needs to be saved, right? These are people who, maybe for the first time, they recognize the great chasm between a holy God and who they are and the lifestyle that they're living. And so, yes, the natural byproduct of that is repentance. But I think that, uh, that Christians... Our life works best when we are living lifestyles of repentance. Our our life works best when we we are aware of the mistakes that we make before that holy God. And when we have the courage and the humility to admit them. Not just to God, but sometimes even before other people. Now, it doesn't mean that we constantly go around apologizing for not being perfect, okay? I'm I'm one of those people where I'm a perfectionist, and so you know the the Lord kind of laughs at me sometimes when I I come before Him and I'm like, man, I really missed the mark on that. You know, I didn't. I I spent too much time playing with my kids and building a puzzle, and I should have been studying Your Word or you know practicing my sermon or whatever it is. And it's like, no, the Lord just kind of laughs at me. He's like, you have freedom in me. First of all, I've called you to be a parent, so I want you to do that. But there's also freedom in Christ. But, so, so I don't, I'm not talking about like going before the Lord and, and just constantly, you know, going to a confessional booth or, you know, I need to confess this to this person or that person. That's not what I'm talking about. And somebody like my personality, I can get into that mode where I'm just like, Lord, I'm so sorry I'm not perfect. And he's like, well, you're not supposed to be perfect. So you're right where you're supposed to be. But that doesn't mean that there aren't things that I need to repent of. And that doesn't mean that there aren't things, even though we have freedom in Christ, even though, you know, God doesn't expect us to be perfect, that doesn't mean that from time to time we don't have to go before him in repentance. One of my favorite phrases from AA goes like this. Everyone can recover if they have the capacity to be honest with themselves. Repentance isn't exactly being honest with other people, although sometimes it is. It's being honest with yourself. Now some of us have very distorted inner dialogues. I also understand that. That's a little bit of a caveat. If your inner dialogue is leading you to shame and condemnation, then it's actually not being honest with yourself. So we can take it too far in the other direction as well if your inner dialogue is leading you to to feel you know just act, like feel like dirt or you're calling yourself names and all these things that don't line up with scripture that's also not true but if your inner dialogue is calling you to a place of conviction it's the building blocks actually of real humility it's biblical repentance it's a normal part of the christian life You don't just repent once and get saved. But as you spend time with the Lord and you have these encounters with God, sometimes you're going to feel like Isaiah did. Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, from a people of unclean lips. Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me for my people's sins. The early founders of the Vineyard Movement recognized this. And they began a movement that changed the world because they had a contrite and honest heart of repentance when they gathered together. It's interesting, you you listen to those accounts, you read those accounts, and they're like, yeah, we came there because we were all sort of disgruntled and burned out people, and we, we, we weren't happy with all of our different denominations and churches. They were doing it all wrong. And they came into that meeting almost... Thinking as if they had the right magic code, that they were going to, we're going to gather together and we're going to fix all these different denominations. We're going to start our own thing. But that's not what happened. They actually realized for the first time that they didn't know anything, that they could barely even hear God's voice. And it created a supernatural repentance in them that is the foundation of the vineyard movement. What does our foundation look like? What are we building? It's actually good that it's quiet in here, I hope. It was quiet with them too. Where are you, friend? Is there something that you know that you need to repent of? the answer is yes, you're in good company. And you're much better off than the Pharisee who says that, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Look at him repenting. Look at all the bad stuff that he's done. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We went through that pretty quick. I'm glad. And as much as I love worship. I've asked Dale specifically to play something a little bit more contemplative. I, I, want, I want you to, to just spend some time in prayer in your own heart. Where are you at? And by the way, some of you guys know that you live a lifestyle of repentance. It's a good place to be. And maybe maybe you want to take on the, the form of an intercessor. And repent on behalf of some of the things that we see going on in the world today. But I just want you to spend a moment. This may, For some of you guys, I, I, I just feel like this is the first time all week that you've had a chance to be quiet before the Lord it's okay, there's no condemnation. Maybe next week, or throughout this next week, that'll change. Maybe that's something you might need to repent of. Lord, I've been so busy. I haven't made any time for you. I haven't opened up my Bible. Not out of condemnation or legalism, like you have to read 20 verses exactly every hour. (laughs) but out of a a desire to know Him and a a desire to put Him first. Whatever it is, just spend some time with the Lord. Don't leave here today without experiencing the Lord giving you forgiveness. Because repentance, the, the thing that follows repentance is the Lord's mercy and grace. And if we don't repent, then sometimes we don't receive the, the mercy and grace that we really need to get us through the week, through the day. And we beat ourselves up when the reality is, is if you come before the Lord with repentance and a contrite heart, He, he will forgive you. He always has. And He won't stop. We need His grace. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Community Vineyard Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's message, click the share button and be sure to subscribe to our channel so that you'll be notified of our latest content. To learn more about Community Vineyard Church or how you can partner with us, please visit our website at www.communityvineyard.org. Until next time.